New Testament lesson comes from Colossians chapter 1, reading verses 15 through 28, and this may be found on page 200 in the New Testament portion of your pew Bible. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that he, we may present everyone mature in Christ. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Throughout these last 2,000 years of church history, the church has wrestled with what it means to have Jesus at the center of its worship. A simple Google image, which I encourage you to do later, not now. An image search on Jesus results in a collage of images showing Jesus in different ways. One might be of Jesus as the bodybuilder hanging from the cross, muscular. Or it might be the GQ Jesus, looking like he is ready to go walking down the model runway. Or it could be the emaciated Jesus. Or perhaps you see the white, blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus, or the black Jesus, or the brown Jesus. So many different pictures for how we understand who Jesus is. And how we understand who Jesus is reflects how we live in this world. Brian McLaren, in his book, A Generous Orthodoxy, writes about how from tradition to tradition, Christianity 
in Christianity, you will meet a different Jesus. In the evangelical churches, you find a Jesus who is, who is close as a personal friend. He wants to have a relationship with you. In the charismatic churches, you will find a Jesus who is made present by the Holy Spirit in ecstasy and excitement. In Catholic churches, Jesus dwells in the Eucharist, in the receiving of the bread and the wine, and links to thousands of years of tradition. In the Eastern Orthodox, there you find Jesus found in the mystery, in the smells and the bells. In mainline Protestant churches, you find Jesus in social action and advocacy. And whether you are a fundamentalist Baptist or a liberationist Methodist, Jesus is at the center of the church's worship, though understood differently. But at some point, as I look at this and see these images, I wonder, who is the real Jesus? I mean, will the real Jesus please stand up? This is the question asked by the Jesus Seminar and researched by those who are interested in the historical Jesus. But even, even the historians, even the historians in the pursuit of the real Jesus seem to come up with differing answers to this question. It seems that even the most objective researcher still finds their research shaped by their own personal biases and understandings. So here, the Apostle Paul, in our reading from Colossians, wants to bring the focus onto Jesus so that the church will have little misunderstandings as who it is that they worship, who it is at the center of their worship. So Paul, after giving uh, greetings and salutations normal for a letter in the first century AD, we get to verses 15 where we picked up in our reading. And here we have from verses 15 through 20, an ancient hymn or poem, one of the earliest confessions of the church. Scholars believe that these uh, verses are uh, predate most of what's written in and recorded in scripture, that Paul uses it for his purposes here. So Paul wants us to have a clear pictures as to who Jesus is, who the real Jesus is. Paul doesn't want the church to settle for a compromised picture he wants the one that he proclaims as Lord and Messiah to be crystal clear. So here Paul links who Jesus is with what Jesus does. Jesus is this and therefore does this. Jesus was instrumental in creation. And therefore he holds all things together, reconciling all things back to God. So don't settle for lesser gods in creation. Look to the one who was before creation and was involved in creation. Why settle for something made by human hands? So he writes, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. When Jesus fed the 5,000, see God feeding the masses. When Jesus heals the sick, see God caring for our fragile bodies. When Jesus eats with sinners, see God dining with the marginalized. Whatever we have seen or known of God prior to Jesus becomes rewritten and understood through Jesus. Jesus is the image of God. 
the lens by which we understand who God is and what God is about. You see Jesus hanging on the cross, see God crucified for our sins. But then Paul goes on to write that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, which, hold on, that sounds a lot like Jesus was one of creation. But no, Paul wants us to see that he is uh, beyond creation, before creation. He goes on in 16, For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Thrones and dominions, rulers and power, all things have been created through and for him. In Jesus, all things were created. Jesus participates in the Creator's work. Jesus, the begotten, not created, second person of the Trinity. All these things were created in Him, not that He Himself is creation. And notice too here that Paul specifically says rulers or powers or thrones and dominions, that these systems of power at some point had a good purpose and an aim. And that they came about to being through Christ. Even the invisible spiritual powers were created in him. How many of you saw the pictures from the James Webb telescope this week? Yeah. How cool was that? Oh my. This snapshot of time pictures galaxies that were uh, as they were 13 billion years ago. Billion with a B. Wow. One writer wrote how this one picture of the galaxy is both really small, as the picture itself is so small, and then very large, all at the same time. Small in that it's like the size of a grain of sand examined at an arm's distance, and large in that it captures so many galaxies spread across. I don't know about you, but it was a bit humbling. It made me feel so small. How expansive this universe is that we dwell in. In him all things were created. Even these galaxies and stars billions of light years away. That Jesus himself is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. So holding these galaxies that expand out into what feels like infinite space, holding together all of this is Jesus. Holding together this world of ours that seems to be spinning back into the chaos from which it was created is Jesus somehow mysteriously holding it all together. After taking this wide-angle shot of Jesus, Paul now narrows in, zooms in on Jesus within the church, the cosmic Christ holding all things together, dwelling in the church. He writes, Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Huh, firstborn from the dead. I don't think he means zombie Jesus here. What he means is he is the first one to be raised from the dead by God and not die again. We all remember Lazarus. 
Lazarus was raised from the dead, but Lazarus was going to die again. Sorry, Lazarus. But Jesus was raised from the dead, never to die again, to be ascended and sit on the right hand of God. He is the firstborn from the dead. So before all creation, there was Jesus. Before all are raised from the dead, there is Jesus. And Paul wants us to know this so that we can see that in all things, Christ has first place in everything. And then Paul links Jesus' creative work to Jesus' reconciling work. Jesus has a vested interest in what happens to all things because, remember, he's holding it all together. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Jesus reconciles all things on heaven and earth because Jesus holds all things together. Now, hold on. I dug deep into this passage this week. I got out the Greek lexicon. I'm looking at my Greek New Testament, dusting off that knowledge I paid a good amount of money for, and I'm looking at it, and this word all, panta in Greek, actually means all. All things. God is reconciling all things, whether in heaven or on earth. Christ is reconciling all things back to God's self. Jesus is putting the world back together piece by piece, even when we can't see it. Jesus is there. And this is not just a little bit. It's not just a part. It's not just the pretty things that we like. It's not just for the nice people either or the deserving ones, but it's for all things in all places. God is reconciling all things back to God's self in Jesus. Jesus holds all things together, even these galaxies and stars. Jesus, the one who walked the earth, is reconciling all things back to God. And even as I'm grasping at what that means, Paul says, part of Christ's creating work includes the principalities, powers, and authorities, all those fallen powers that have revolted against God, the authorities and powers that conspired to have Jesus crucified. These have not been given up on by Christ either. God and Jesus is reconciling all things. And Paul sees himself in this ministry. He wants us to know that in this work of reconciliation. Paul sees himself continuing on the work that Christ is doing throughout the cosmos. We too at Wesley Memorial follow this ministry of reconciliation. For instance, we are called a reconciling church. And what this means is we are a part of an association of churches that are in the work of reconciliation with the LGBTQIA community. The cisgender hetero church in general has done harm to our friends who are lesbian, has done harm and damage to our friends who are gay or bisexual or transgender or queer or asexual or non-binary or intersex. The church has excluded our friends, encouraged hateful behavior, and have committed spiritual abuse. To be a reconciling church means we acknowledge this harm, we confess any part that we've played in this harm, and we work towards reconciliation and forgiveness when possible. 
and establish practices that include, affirm, and celebrate our friends. And doing so connects to this cosmic, ancient work of reconciliation, the work of Christ. So when you choose love and not hate, when you choose to open yourself up to the other, to the stranger, to your neighbor, when you have that difficult conversation and you confess or you ask for forgiveness, when you join in the work of advocacy and justice for the poor, for the marginalized, when you care for God's creation by reducing your use of plastic or choosing to carpool, when you look at yourself in the mirror and you choose to love yourself and be gentle with yourself, you join in this ongoing, continuous work of reconciliation which Christ has called us into. Paul goes on and says how God has broken down these walls that divide us, that the good news of God's liberating love has come at last to the Gentiles, and that this new turn in this old storyline was a mystery which had been made clear by Christ. And then he says this, don't miss this. Paul then says this, that Christ, that Jesus, whom is busy holding everything together, galaxies far off in this world that we have now. That this Jesus who was there at the creation of the world, holding all things together, reconciling all things, the head of the church, the image of the invisible God, that this Jesus, the hope of glory, is in y'all. Is in y'all. present tense, currently, at this moment, God continues the work of reconciliation through the church because Christ is present in the life of the faithful community. Not only is Jesus holding it all together, not only is Jesus reconciling the world back together, Jesus dwells within you now. More intimate than a lover, closer than a friend, always with you, never giving up on you, always forgiving, always embracing, always loving you into what you were meant to be. Christ, the hope of glory in you. Mysteriously, Jesus is present in you. And through you, Jesus continues to make visible the invisible God. So then I return to my original question, who is the real Jesus? Will the real Jesus please stand up? Mm -hmm.